Covenant Church. We are so glad you're here with us today. Uh, today we get to do one of the most exciting things that I get to do being in ministry is baptize one of my students. Uh, Matthew 10.32, Jesus tells his disciples, if you confess me in front of man, I will confess you in front of my father. So and that is the act we are fixing to get to do. So I'm going to invite my friend Peyton down. Peyton is one of my student leaders. He's been uh, coming around the ministry for about, I don't know, a year and a half, two years, something like that. And uh, Peyton has truly taken his student ministry and is killing it by bringing in his friends, um, sharing the gospel with his friends, inviting new ones in, helping some of our friends that need a little more assistance while we're having our meetings and stuff. Um, so Peyton truly has shown that he wants to follow Jesus, he wants to be a disciple for Jesus, and today we get to publicly confess that he's in. He's in with the family. Peyton, have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I have. Okay, in obedience to him. I am free. 
seated for just a moment. On third Sundays here at New Covenant, we have what we call congregational communion. And uh, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to partake with us in the Lord's Supper together. Jesus gave us a way to participate in his presence with us through the bread and the juice If you have not received one of the elements, would you lift a hand high that we can see you? If you've not gotten one, we have some over here, Sonia. There's some on the... All right. Sonia, there's quite a few over on this side. may have to lift your hand or stand up if she can't see you. We want to get one to you if you'd like. If you'll go ahead and open the bottom of that element, you'll find the bread is located there if you'll open that up. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come thanking you that not only did Jesus come to be flesh, but he gave his flesh for us. By his stripes, we are healed and made whole. Thank you for his living presence through the power of the resurrection. And we remember that today in Jesus' name. Take, eat, this is his body, which is broken for you. You'll take the top and remove the cellophane over that. Reveal the juice. In the same manner, it says in verse 25, He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, thank you that in the blood of Jesus there is life. Not just life for physicality, but Lord, eternal life. We drink gladly of that life that we have in Jesus Christ. We celebrate him and we receive it now in Jesus' name. Take, drink, all of it. And the scripture says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. His presence is with us. Thank you. Now, there is a receptacle on the right end of the pews. If you'll take that and pass that down, and you can just leave it on the other end of the pews. We celebrate Jesus today. Join us again in worship. I want to be close, close to your side. So heaven is real and death is alive. I wanna hear voices of angels above singing as one. Hallelujah. to your heart. 
Zephaniah 317 in the New Living says this, For for the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With His love, He will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Hebrews 416 says then, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help 
in time of need. I've learned something this week. Grace is not some commodity or some attitude that God has or gives. Grace is more than just unmerited favor. Grace is the dynamic free flow of a self-giving God expressing His activity consistent with His character, sufficient for every need of your Christian life. God's grace is the dynamic, empowering presence of Christ Himself that enables us to be His and become all that He has purposed us to be. And Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, as He left and ascended back, He said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's grace. Father, we gladly give you praise and honor and glory. We say to you, there's nothing else, nothing else we need but you. And Lord, you are enough. We give you praise and honor in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Good morning, church. If this is your first time visiting with us in person or online, welcome. We are so glad that you've decided to worship with us today. At New Covenant Church, we invite all people in the communities where we live to know, hear, and respond to Jesus Christ. You can learn more about NCC, become part of our church family, or join our serve team by going to our Connect class. If you would like to bless what God is doing through the ministries at NCC with your tithes and offerings, you can use the offering boxes or give online at newcovenantlampasses.com. If you'd like more information about what's going on here at NCC, please visit the hub after the service. Again, we are so glad you are here with us this morning. Now, let's open our hearts to the Word. Good morning. Well, we are so glad that you are with us for worship this morning. And for those of you joining online, welcome. Well, this morning we are going to finish a series that we've been on for a couple weeks called In His Presence. And I don't know, uh, I can't speak for any of you, but if you've been here for both of the messages, what I can say is this has been uh, a difficult or hard series, uh, convicting series, challenging series for me personally. Uh, God has challenged me through this process, and as as we've been talking about seeking His presence, being in His presence, what what I find personally is the more that I spend uh, time in His presence, the more that I realize how little time I do spend in His presence, how much more uh, we we can do, how much more that we need Him. And we absolutely do need Him. And this morning, before we get into the message, I want to open up with a word of prayer and invite Him to be here. In in the name of Jesus, Father, we ask You this morning, we invite You, Lord, to be in our presence, to be in our midst. Your Word... uh, shows us and promises us that you are always with us. Uh, Lord, your word says that you are omnipresent. Whether we went to the highest height in the heavens or the lowest depths of the sea, Lord, your word says you are there. And we know that you are with us this morning in that way, but we ask that you would be with us in your manifest presence, that we would be aware that you are with us this morning, that the Holy Spirit would reveal your word, would give us revelation this morning as your word is spoken and preached, Lord, and and that that word would be transforming in our hearts and minds, Lord, and we ask these in your son's name, amen, amen. I've got a question for you this morning. Have you ever been desperate for something? And I'll give you a minute to think about it. You may have been desperate multiple times in your life, but I want you to just contemplate that question of of desperation and and the time or times that you have found yourself in that place of desperation. And being in a state of desperation goes far beyond just wanting or desiring something. 
And before we go on, I want to look at the actual definition so, we, so we're all talking about the same thing. That word desperate means to have a great need or desire for something, such as a drink of water or relationship with people. So to be desperate means you have a great need, a great desire for something. Just really wanting a drink of water or really being thirsty isn't being desperate for water. If we were ever to get to the point of being dehydrated or literally dying of thirst, we would then understand and fully know what being desperate for water truly is. And it's interesting that it was interesting to me that the example for desperate not only included something so necessary to our living like water or food, but it also included relationships. And it really shouldn't have surprised me because God created us to be relational beings. We don't do well alone. One of the first things that God said after he created Adam was, it is not good for him to be alone. We weren't created to be alone. And not only were we not, or were we created to be in relationship with other people, most importantly, we were created to be in relationship with God. I have a few more questions for us this morning. Are we desperate for God? Do we have a great need, a great desire for God? Are we desperate to be in his presence, to spend time in his presence? What might get us to that point? What might cause us to be desperate for God? You may have had situations in your life that got you to that point for a period of time. And I'm not going to answer any of these questions this morning. You might wonder why. Well, the answer is because the only one who can answer these questions for you is you. The only one that I can answer these questions for is myself. What I will say is that if we were wise, if we truly wanted the best for our own life and the lives of those around us, if we fully understood all of creation and the entire universe that God created, if we fully comprehended that, we would be desperate for God. We would have both a great need for Him and a great desire from Him because we would understand that unless we are totally, utterly, completely, fully, entirely, Absolutely. Are you getting the picture? Dependent on God, we can do nothing. There's nothing that we can accomplish for an eternal purpose in our life or in the lives of others if we aren't apart from God. In Exodus 33, at the very beginning in verse 1, God tells Moses to take the people from Mount Sinai up from there to the land that he had promised to their forefathers, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And in verse 2, God tells Moses, he says, I will send an angel with you to go out ahead of you. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? How would you like for God to tell you, if you'll go here, I'm going to send an angel ahead of you? That would probably be good enough for us, wouldn't you say? I think I would be willing to go anywhere God wanted me to go if he promised to send an angel along for the trip. The unfortunate truth, though, is that most of us are willing to walk through the journey of our life without the presence of God, without the presence of of an angel, and often without even having a word from God or seeking Him on what He would have us do. In in that time, 
where, where Moses was, was being sent by God to go into the promised land, God had already provided the cloud of his presence in day and the fire of his presence at night. And it says that when the cloud moved or the fire moved, the people would get up and go with God in his presence. But when it stood still, they would stop and stay still. And in this case, God was saying, I can't go with you because you're so hard-headed I might destroy you. So I'm just going to send an angel with you. But that wasn't good enough for Moses. An angel wasn't good enough. And in verse 15 of Exodus 33, we see Moses' response. He says, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. And those words, with me, are not in the original Hebrew. Uh, Those were added in our English translations to understand it. The original Hebrew would read more like this. It would say, if your presence doesn't come, or if your presence doesn't go, then don't bring us up from this place. So really Moses wasn't just asking for his own personal self. He really was saying, God, if you don't go with us, then let us stay right here where you are. I do not want to go anywhere without you. Moses was desperate for the presence of God. He knew that he couldn't lead his own life and sure not the lives of an entire nation without God and his presence. Moses had no clue what lay ahead of them. He didn't know what that afternoon was going to bring, let alone the days and years ahead. What he did know was that he didn't want to face any of it without God and his presence. Did you know that we don't know what's ahead of us? We don't know what is ahead of us this afternoon, let alone tomorrow. We don't know what is ahead of us in our marriages. We don't know what is ahead of us in our health. We don't know what is ahead in the lives of our children, kids, youth. You don't know what is ahead of you. You may have plans for your future. You may know the college you want to go to, and those are all well and good, but you don't know if those things are going to play out the way that you have planned them in your mind and in your heart. We don't know what's ahead of us in our jobs, our employment. You don't know what your company, uh, what's going to happen at your company. Or you may own your own business. You don't know what God has in store for that or what may come. We don't know what is in store for Lampasas or for Texas or our nation. And we don't know what is ahead for this church or the church of Lampasas or the body of Christ as a whole. Very encouraging, right? (laughs) Do you know what we do know when it comes to the circumstances of our lives in the world? One thing. Nothing. We don't know anything apart from God. The word says we can do nothing. We know that the word of God, we can go to Revelation, and we know in the end that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We know what's in store at the very end for the entire body of Christ and the kingdom of God. But God never tells us what's in store for us today or tomorrow. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. It's got enough worries for itself, and you can't figure it out. He was saying, depend on me. Seek me. The reason that we don't like to think about these things and try to keep them out of our mind is because when we do, we get overwhelmed about all the things that could go wrong. We worry about them because we realize we aren't in the control that we think we are. The older I've gotten, the more and more and more I've realized I control nothing. Does that keep me from trying? (laughs) I still try and I still have to give it back to God, but I'm hoping that I do that less and less and less. 
What if we had a heart like Moses? A desperate heart. A heart that had a great need for God and His presence. A great desire for God and His presence. So much so that we would refuse to take another step without Him. Just like the way they would stand still if the cloud or the pillar of fire stood still. They would not go without Him. How many times can can you think in your own life where you know you went your own way? Maybe you even prayed about it. There's... The Bible is nothing if not a very honest history of, of man's stupidity. There's, a, there's an account where the Israelites tell a prophet, uh, ask God if we're supposed to stay here or go to Egypt. Whatever he says, we'll do. And God tells them, stay, do not go to Egypt. And they said, you're a liar, we're, we're going to Egypt. <laughs> God specifically answered their request and they specifically did the opposite and walked into judgment. We do those things over and over and over What would it be like if we were desperate for God's presence and unwilling to go anywhere unless we were with him? He in us and us in him. If we knew better, we would. If we really believed what I'm saying this morning and what the the word of God proclaims, we would. If we really believe that apart from God we could accomplish nothing, then we would be desperate for Him. With everything in us, we would seek Him because we would know that we absolutely need Him. And the Bible's full of accounts of men and women who are desperate for God's presence. We're going to look at another account found in John 6. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. We'll get there in just a minute. But I'm going to paraphrase verses 1 through 59. It's an account that most of you are probably familiar with. It's where Jesus fed the 5,000. It says he saw this great multitude of people coming, and the disciples were like, what do we do? And he says, we're going to feed them. And they're like, well, how how are we going to feed them? We don't have any money or food. And just like, it'll be okay. And this isn't the point of us looking at this account, but, but this is just one example of God knowing what's coming. Jesus knew how he was going to take care of them. He knew how he was going to feed them. And there was a boy with three loaves of bread and two fishes. And Jesus prayed over it and handed it out. And it multiplied. And not only did they all have their fill, but there was leftovers. And then it says that the crowd wanted to make him king, an earthly king. But that wasn't, that was their plan. That was the plan they devised in their own will. And Jesus knew that's not God's plan. That's not His will. So it says that He withdrew Himself so they wouldn't make Him king. And then He sent the disciples uh, on boats to the other side of the sea. And that night He would follow them by walking on water. The next morning, all these people were looking for Him. And they weren't looking for him for what he had to say. They were looking for him for more free bread. That, it, it, that's exactly what it says. You can go read the whole thing. That's what they really wanted. And so Jesus starts talking to him on the other side. And he tells them, unless they eat his flesh and drink his blood, there will be no life in them. That for him to abide in them and they in him, they have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. We did it just just earlier in the service. We took communion. That's what Jesus was talking about, but they didn't understand. They didn't know that. They couldn't comprehend that at that moment. And they were offended by what he said. They didn't like what he said. And it wasn't just the people in the crowd. It was actually many of his disciples. I don't know if you know this or not, but there was many more than the 12 that Jesus picked. There was a lot of people following him as his disciples. He was their teacher. And we're going to pick up in verse 60. It says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? 
Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Let's stay on this passage just a minute because this, that one passage stood out to me when, when I was reading it, that this is a hard saying. And that's kind of the way I've felt throughout this series is that it seems like a lot of it is a hard saying. It's hard for us to take. It's hard for us to accept that, that what might be required of us to have a relationship with God. And it, it's not that we're earning our salvation. We're not earning forgiveness. Jesus Christ prayed, paid for that on the cross. But the Bible is very clear that if we want a relationship with him, it takes effort on our side. What relationship do you have in your life that has succeeded with no effort from you? None. None. You can't have a relationship with a friend, with your spouse, with your children, with coworkers, with no one if you don't put effort into it, if you don't work at it. And the King of kings and Lord of lords has done everything on his side to restore the relationship that we can have with him and desires to have a relationship with us. And all we have to do is respond And scripture is very clear that if we want to respond in the correct manner, we would be desperate for him, for his presence, for his word, for the life that is in him. So Jesus said, this is a hard, or they said, this is a hard saying. And Jesus' response, verse 63, he says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. We talked about this last Sunday, putting the flesh to death, letting it die on the cross. Jesus says, why right here? How much help is the flesh to us? None. Jesus said, it's zero help to us. But the words that he's spoken is spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They left. It was too hard. They probably were, would have agreed with the people the day before to make him an earthly king, to, to defeat their earthly enemies, to give them free, free bread and drink for life, to take care of all their needs. They wanted that kind of king, and what Jesus was asking was too hard, and they walked away. And Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. I just want to stop one second here as well and just touch on the fact that Judas, one of the 12 that Jesus handpicked, he didn't leave that day. He stuck around. He continued to be in the presence of Jesus. But just being in the presence wasn't enough. There's a, a passage that, that I almost included, but it was just too much. Uh, but it's in Luke. And Jesus was, what somebody asked how many people are going to get into heaven? Like, is it going to be a lot? And Jesus says, well, the door is actually narrow. And, and he goes on to say that there's going to be people who ate in his presence and who he taught in the streets. And they were going to come to the door and say, let us in. And he was going to say, I don't know you. I have no relationship with you. Judas is one of those people that can say, I ate with you. I ate in your presence. And I heard you teach on the streets. But he didn't believe the words. He didn't have a true relationship with Jesus. But Peter, 
didn't want to leave the presence of God. And he asked Jesus that question, who else can we go to? And he answered the question himself. He said, you are the one who have the words of eternal life. Peter was saying, I'm desperate for you. I'm desperate for a relationship with you. I need you. There is no life apart from you. If I go from you, I'm going to death. He understood it. And the truth is we should be desperate for the presence of God in every circumstance, in every moment of our life, whether we are at the height of heights or the lowest depth we've ever been in. Oftentimes it's when things are going the best that we're the least desperate of God and we totally walk away from Him because we don't think we need Him. We should be desperate for Him to simply be in His presence and because we love Him so much. We should be desperate For him, because he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. We should be desperate to be in his presence because it's the absolute best place we could ever be. In Matthew 5 6, Jesus said, Blessed, supremely blessed and happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The condition that's acceptable to God. For they shall be satisfied. They shall be filled. They will be fulfilled. If we understood that, if we believed it, we would be desperate for Him. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If we knew that, if we really believed it, we would be desperate for His manifest presence. In Psalm 27.4, the psalmist wrote, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Do you see what he's describing there? Living, dwelling in the presence of God all the days of his life. And he's not talking about eternity beyond this life. We read last week where everything that God did was to change our life in this present age. And he looked forward to being in the the presence of God in His temple. We also looked at previously how God made us the temple. When Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross, the veil was torn in two. It was open. The Holy of Holies was open that we might go into the presence of the Lord. And He said He would dwell in us. He would make His home the, the temple that's within our heart. We have more of an ability to stay in the presence of God than anyone in the Old Testament ever did. But is it our desire? Are we desperate for His presence? They were describing literally seeing His face, literally being aware of His presence. And Psalm 63, 1 says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. The psalmist was desperate for God. So much so like his life depended on it. Like a man dying of thirst. He said, that's the condition of my soul for your presence. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. The last scripture we're going to look at is in John 15, 5. And I referenced it 
earlier. This is something that Jesus said, and you could read all of John 15. It's a really uh, eye-opening passage, and, and I'm sure you've, you've heard it taught on before. But we're just going to look at this one verse. Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. A branch is desperate for the vine. If a branch is removed from the vine, it is dead. It may not look dead. You pull a branch off a tree and the leaves are still green. It still looks like it has life in it, but it is as good as dead. It is dead because it has been taken off the vine, the branch. And you leave it there for a few hours or a day and it will be dried up. And dead, and what was already true of itself will be obvious. That is the condition, that is the state of all humanity apart from Christ. We are dead, we have no life. And if we understand that, we would be desperate for Him, desperate for Him to abide in us and us in Him, because we would know that apart from Him, there is nothing that we can do. Nothing that matters in eternity. Nothing that will have any consequence in this life or the next. But if we abide in him, then everything matters. We would wait for him. If his presence was here, we wouldn't leave. If it went, we'd go with him. You know, the truth is that we're all at least half desperate. The definition of desperate was that we have a great need and a great desire. We all have a great need. We all have the same great need to be in a relationship with God, but we don't have to choose that relationship. Just because he's made the way doesn't bring us into relationship with him. We have to realize that need and have that desire for him and seek him. That's my question for you this morning. Are you desperate? Both sides, knowing your need and having a desire for God. I'd like to invite the ministry teams forward. And I want to, I just pray that you have been hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit, that he has been speaking to you and convicting you and that that in a moment when we respond, that you would respond however it is that he's leading you. And just personally, I want to confess. And it's obvious when we think about it. It's obvious after we've just heard what what all this really means and how it really uh, the truth of the word of God that in every area of our life we must be desperate for him apart from him we can do nothing every area of my life should be desperate for God I'm desperate for God in my marriage I'm desperate for God in the lives of my children I'm desperate for God and the the plans he has for this city. I'm desperate for what God has for this church. I'm desperate for what God has planned for the body of Christ. I'm desperate for his plans for our state and our nation. I'm desperate for what he has planned for the world because apart from him, we can do nothing. It's our only Hope. He is our only hope. He is the only way, the only truth, the only life. And unless we realize that and get to the point where we are truly desperate and know and believe and our actual reality shows it, our life shows it. We're not going to accomplish anything. Will you bow your head and pray with me? Dear Father, Lord, my response this morning is to repent. Father, I repent for my lack of desperation. 
Father God, I pray that the body of Christ in whole, Lord, all over this world, that you bring us to a place of repentance before you, Lord, that we seek you with our whole heart, with our whole mind, with all of our strength, with everything within us, Lord God, that we would be desperate for you. Father, I'm desperate for our children. I'm desperate for our youth. I'm desperate for this world. And I know that you are the answer. Father, your word says over and over, Lord, you do the impossible. You work miracles. You transform lives. You heal the broken. You came to set the captives free. Father God, everything that we need is in you. Father, I pray that we would Believe that and know that and be desperate for you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Will you stand with us as we close and worship and please respond any way that the Holy Spirit leads you. I'm sorry when I've just gone through the motions, I'm sorry. When I just sing another song, take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. Oh, I'm sorry. When I've come with my agenda, I'm sorry. When I forgot that you're enough to take me back to where we started, I open up my heart to you. I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. I never want to leave. Oh, I'm not here for blessings. Jesus, you don't just want you I just want you nothing else nothing else nothing else will do I just want you nothing else nothing else Nothing else will do. We just want you. Nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else will do. We just want you. Nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else will do. confess this morning that there is nothing that we can do apart from you. Father, I ask that 
you allow us to not go anywhere without your presence. Lord, that you would lead this part of your body, that you would lead the whole body of Christ. Lord, your word says that Jesus Christ is the head of your body, Lord. Father, I pray that we would follow you in unity. Be obedient to every command. Lord, that when you you ask us to wait, that we would gladly wait in your presence. And when you call us to go, we would gladly go because we would be in your presence. Father, I pray for this generation, Lord, that we would be desperate for you, Lord, that we would know our great need and that we would have a great desire for you. Lord, that we would accept nothing less than your presence, Father. Nothing else is good enough, nothing else. There is no life in anything else, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. The ministry teams will continue to be available. God bless you, and we're so glad that you were with us this morning for worship.